Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and open together to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as we come to God's Word this morning. And we continue through this, uh, this let me just call it maybe a rough letter. Isn't it a rough letter? Uh, it, the Apostle Paul addresses many things that are, that are uncomfortable. And unfortunately it's uncomfortable for Paul uh, as he has to address these things. May I tell you that sin should be uncomfortable. Uh, it's uncomfortable for the preacher to address it, um, but it, more importantly, it should be uncomfortable for God's people to practice it. And as we come here this morning, we find that the Apostle Paul continues uh, his, his rebuke of the church at Corinth. Now, I just want to you know, preface the message again this morning. Last week, it was a very pointed message from God's Word as, as the Apostle Paul spoke to the church at Corinth concerning their sin of pride. Well, this morning he comes and he, and he touches an even more uncomfortable subject, but I just want to just encourage you this morning to, to be of good cheer, uh, seek the Lord this morning. Though it might be uncomfortable and awkward and pointed at times, uh, please know that uh, we can't avoid uh, teaching and preaching the truth of God's Word. And... You know, the Apostle Paul, he writes, and, and we, we, said, we, we believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, correct? Therefore, we cannot ignore certain things. I believe it was last, last Sunday morning I mentioned that we've been here for over nine years, and this is the first time we've ever addressed uh, or we've ever preached through the book of 1 Corinthians. But remember, the church at Corinth, they were not struggling so much from a doctrinal standpoint, but a very practical standpoint. Uh, they had, there was deep moral failure within the church. Uh, there were things that were being condoned and ignored and excused away. I, I heard this week that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is now uh, being investigated by the FBI or the IRS because of some, some past impropriety, uh, seeking to cover up scandals and and uh, moral failures that had been represented in their churches, they were, they were excused away and covered up. And, but may I tell you, we cannot, we cannot turn our heads at sin. Yeah, now understand this, that not, there's not one person here today that has arrived. The Apostle Paul said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. And our heart's desire this morning is to not uh, you know, stick our noses up in the air and look at other people and be judgmental of others. Though Paul, he judged the situation from afar, may God help us turn our hearts to ourselves and consider our own lives and, and the great need that we have to pursue Jesus Christ and be the, ch the children of God that he saved us to be. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read together all of chapter 5, but don't worry, there's only 13 verses. First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 13, the Bible says this, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I, ha I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one not to eat. For what have I to do uh, to judge them that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without God judges, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Father, we pray this morning for your grace and help. Lord, as we come to the word of God, this is, this is an uncomfortable uh, subject. Lord, all sin should be uncomfortable. Just as it makes us squirm to talk about, Lord, may it make us squirm when we practice it. Lord, we ask that you would give us deliverance this morning. Father, that you would help us. Lord, help us be like Christ. Lord, may we understand how, how these things hinder our Christian lives. How they keep us from your best. Not just knowing your best for us personally, but, but doing our best for you uh, in service to our King. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our, open our hearts today. Lord, that you'd open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things from thy law. Lord, that you would challenge us, and, and God, that you would help us make decisions today that would, that would drastically transform our lives for the better and not for the worse. Lord, we live in a society that promotes these things, uh, that makes a mock at sin, Lord, that encourages uh, your people to participate in such deeds. But Lord, may we be resolved today to simply follow after the example of Christ. And so Lord, we pray for your leadership today. And again, Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, Father, our prayer for them is that today again would be the day of their salvation. Lord, we pray that your will would be done in these moments. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Word of God says in verse number 7. In verse number 7, the Bible says, Purge out therefore the old leaven. Purge out therefore the old leaven. And as we study the Word of God, we come to understand that the word leaven is reference to sin. Leaven, or what we refer today as yeast, uh, causes fermentation, which 
brings about corruption and death. I want you to hold your place here in 1 Corinthians. We're going to take a quick survey of God's Word this morning as we look to understand just how wretched this sin truly is. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of James. In James chapter number 1, understanding that this leaven represents sin, uh, it's, you see it in fermentation, you see it in corruption. Uh, the Bible says this, in James chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. This sin, friends, this corruption cannot be contained. Uh, how many of you have ever gone uh, to the store and, and bought a piece of produce or a, a package of produce? My wife, we have, we have a garden and, and she has uh, potatoes. We, we grow potatoes. But somebody recently gave us some excess potatoes and so we took them home, and those potatoes, they were, they were a little bit damp. And so we, were, we had left them, and then we went back to them to, to take care of them. And sure enough, in the bottom of this bushel of, of potatoes, there was a rotten potato. And everything that that rotten potato had touched, all the other potatoes surrounding that, that one rotten potato, they began to become rotten of themselves. You cannot contain corruption. You cannot contain sin. The sin of my life will inherently be transmitted to those around me. You know, you and I, we do not live in a vacuum. We, we live, we have influence, we, we have relationships with other people. The, the closest relationships we have are the relationships of our family in our church. And this, the decisions that I make in, in my life will, without question, impact my wife and my children, either for better or for the worse. Likewise, amongst the body of Christ, if, if there is sin in the camp, remember the Old Testament account as, as they went in and, and uh, and uh, conquered Babylon, God had instructed the children of Israel to not take any of the spoil of the Babylons, of, I'm sorry, of the Babylonians. But sure enough, Achan, he saw some gold in that Babylonian garment and he lusted after it and he took it and he brought it back to his tent and he, and he hid it underneath the floor of his tent. And the, and the armies of Israel went out to Ai. To conquer the next city in the promised land. But Achan's sin impacted the host. And instead of conquering Ai, they were defeated by Ai. And was it 30 men lost their lives because of Achan's sin? I want you to look back, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. And notice what the Word of God says in verse number 6. This is, a, this is an illustration that, you, that we hear of today. Like, one, one bad apple spoils the bunch, right? Well, the Bible says here 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. I want you to mark this verse. The Bible says, Know ye not that a, that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. But we, but we live by the law of relatives, don't we? You know, what is, what is little for you might not be little for me. Well, we, we think that, that, it's some, that it has to be some great large amount of sin that is going to come in and contaminate uh, our lives and, and hinder God's blessing. But make no mistake, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It doesn't take much. I remember as a, as a child, I would, my mother used to make, make homemade bread. How many of you make homemade bread? I love homemade bread. My wife makes... Wonderful homemade bread. I love it when it's fresh out of the oven. You know, you cut off a nice thick slice and you just layer butter on top of it. Oh, it's so good. But she prepares the dough. She, she puts all the different elements in, the flour, the egg, the salt. I don't know what else she put in it. I just like to consume it. But then after she gets all of those basic elements together, she'll put in a little bit of yeast. And she'll, it doesn't take a lot of yeast, just a pinch. And as she works that, that dough and massages that yeast into the dough and kneads that dough and rolls it up and, and places it in the tin and, and, and sets it out and allows that dough to rise... It's rising because the yeast has infiltrated and permeated throughout that loaf of bread. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Leaven is sin. Leaven cannot be contained. Sin cannot be contained. It will spread. But may I tell you, during His earthly ministry, our Savior, He warned us at length concerning leaven. Won't you hold your place in, in 1 Corinthians chapter six? Or, or I'm sorry, chapter five, and turn over to Matthew chapter sixteen with me, if you would please. Matthew chapter number sixteen, we find here that Christ warns against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Sadducees. In Matthew chapter sixteen, notice what the Bible says, beginning in verse number five. It says, "And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread." Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not understand, neither remember, uh, the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves... Of the 4,000 and how many baskets he took up. How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not uh, to you concerning bread. That ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. The Lord warns against the leaven here. The sin of the Pharisees and the sin of the Sadducees. And we'll define that here in just a moment. But look over if you would please in the gospel according to Mark. In Mark chapter number 8, of course, a similar, a parallel passage here. In Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse number 14, notice it says, 
Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. See, a a little bit different in in Matthew chapter 16, he warned against the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees, but now he warns against the leaven of the Pharisees and and of Herod, or what we would refer to as the Herodians. The Bible says, and they reason among themselves, saying, is it because we have no bread? And when Jesus knew it, he said unto them, why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand, Have ye your hearts yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? Having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, twelve. And when the seven among the four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, seven. And he said unto them, how is it that ye do not understand? He said, hey, don't worry about food. Hey, I can, hey I, I've already supplied. You might have one loaf in the boat, but hey, I've got it. I can feed you. I'm not talking about something that you lack physically. I'm, I'm speaking of a spiritual danger. Speaking of sin. And he warns against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Look over in Luke chapter number 12, if you would. Luke chapter number 12, as we work our way back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But in Luke chapter 12, in verse 1, the Bible says this, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, notice, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So now Christ begins to define what this sin is. This sin of the Pharisees is the sin of hypocrisy. And everybody can spot a hypocrite. Can't they? Someone who says they're something and and is is actually someone completely different. The word hypocrisy is a theatrical term. It means one who wears a mask. Like if you were to go and in the olden days, go around Shakespeare's uh, time, and, and they would have all these theaters and all these productions and all these plays. They would put on a costume. They would wear a mask. They would pretend to be someone they were not. The sin of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. The sin of the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. See what I did there? A little memory aid. But the leaven of the Pharisees is false doctrine. Beware the sin of false doctrine. And there's a lot of false doctrine, isn't there? There is no shortage in the world concerning false doctrine. But I'm thankful you and I have the truth. And ye shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. If the Son therefore has set you free, shall be free indeed. But what is the leaven of Herod? The leaven of Herod is worldliness. It's worldliness. 
Christians, there is a sin of hypocrisy. There is a sin of false doctrine. There is a sin of worldliness. And may I tell you, we see it everywhere. And may I tell you, we're not perfect here either. We simply try to follow the Lord as best as we can by His grace. But what we need, we need to see and we need to understand the great danger that leaven produces. This, the ramifications, the consequences of sin are insidious, far-reaching, and it must be handled, it must be dealt with biblically. The church at Corinth, they struggled with worldliness, didn't they? I mean, I mean, we read, read chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. It's talk about worldly. May I tell you, they were sinning more than the world sinned. There were things taking place within that church that were not even named among the Gentiles. It was hypocrisy. They were presenting themselves. Remember, in the opening chapters, they were trying to present themselves as being superior to being more spiritual than each other, but they weren't. And what is it all rooted in? It's all rooted in chapter 4, in pride. Remember, I want you to look back in, in 1 Corinthians, and notice in chapter 4, I had you mark several statements here in chapter 4. The first is found at the end of verse number 6. It's the term puffed up. Would you mark that statement, that term, in verse number 6 of chapter 4? It's puffed up. It means to be inflated or bloated with pride. We have a higher opinion of ourselves than we should. We think we're superior. We think we're better. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we must be on guard against it, this being puffed up. Again, in chapter 4, we find near the end of the chapter, in verse 18, we see that same term used. He says, now some are puffed up, full of pride. And at the end of verse number 19, again, we read that not the speech of them which are puffed up, these who are full of pride. And we see this, this pride this indictment of pride follow into chapter 5. It says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. What is our response to sin? Paul tells us in verse number 7 that we should purge out therefore the old leaven. That's the proper response. But the church at Corinth, they were puffed up. They took pride in it. They were unwilling to confess their sin. They were unwilling to agree with God concerning the matter 
they were unwilling to, to do what was necessary to rid themselves of this dreaded, this dreaded fornication that was among them. Oftentimes, because of our pride, we miss what God has in store. We forfeit the power of God. We forfeit the blessing of God. We forfeit being used of the Lord because we are more accepting of sin in our lives than we fear missing out on what God has for us. But what should our response be? You see, the church at Corinth, they mishandled it. Our desire should be cleanliness. Our prayer should be that of being made clean by the Lord. We purge out the old leaven. The word pur- the term purged out means to be thoroughly cleansed. And my heart goes to Psalm 51. Will you turn there with me this morning? The Psalm number 51 where we read David's prayer of repentance. The sin into which he had entered with Bathsheba, the affair that they had together, the child that was conceived, the murder that was that was accomplished by at the hands of David as he killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, one of David's most trusted mighty men. Remember, sin cannot be contained. The sin of David's life spread like a cancer. When David was found out, a bold prophet named Nathan went to him and dealt with him. May I tell you that God dealt with David? In Psalm 51, we read David's prayer of repentance. I want you to draw, look down in verse number 7, if you would, of Psalm 51. Remember, he was told to purge out the old leaven. David prays this prayer for cleansing. He says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Purge me. Clean me up. Make me clean. Make me right. We read something similar in the New Testament. If you would, please turn back to the book of James. James chapter number 4. In James chapter 4, the Bible says this in verse number
We're putting water pumps on it, changing the oil, tuning it up, putting new throttle body on it. You know, whatever the case was. I'm thinking, man, is it work ever going to stop? I guess what you get, that's what you get when you buy a used car. But, uh, anyway, there's always work to be done on that. And I, I, I love working with my hands. Men, God created you to work with your hands. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Working with his hands a thing which is good. I just thought I said something and you cut me off. <laughs> it's not even noon yet. Don't turn my microphone off. But you go and, and your hands become filthy and grimy, covered in axle grease and, and oil. What do you do? You come inside and your wife says, Don't, you better wash your hands. Right, men? You go over, you try to give her a hug. You say, don't you touch me. Right? Don't you touch me with those dirty mitts. You better go and wash your hands. God commands us to be clean. He resisteth the, pro- he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In the, in the pride of the Corinthians' hearts, they were puffed up and they would not address the sin that was at hand. Therefore, God held them back. Had they humbled themselves and cleansed their hands, He would have received them. The same with you and me. May we not be so overwhelmed with pride that we resist God in His grace and His working and His dealing in our lives that may, may we humbly come before God and and desire cleanliness. And Lord, make me clean. To look, please. The gospel according to John. How are you and I made clean? How can I get clean today? Well, there are many products on the market. you can use to wash your hands with. There are some that are full of these soaps that are filled with pumice, right? They just, that sand, that, that lava bar soap, you know, all kinds of stuff that you can wash your hands with and, and get all, the, all the, the dirt off. You know what David prayed for in Psalm 51? He sought God for truth in the inward parts. In the, in the deepest part of his life, in his heart, he needed truth. May I tell you, it doesn't matter how well you wash your hands, if you still dabble in sin, your heart is dirty. And God doesn't care so much about the cleanliness of your hands as he does with the cleanliness of your heart. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. But how can I make my heart clean? My heart was originally clean back in January 7th, 1989. When I repented of my sin and by faith I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Obtain salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ at that moment. And I'm thankful for God's continued working in my life.
But I live in the world, just as you do. And there's leaven in the world, isn't there? There's sin in the world. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The wickedness of the world, it's, it's everywhere, isn't it? The influence of it, the appeal of it, the availability of it. And though we live in the world, we are not to be of the world. But as we live in the world, we're going to rub shoulders with people. We shouldn't seek things out, but we're going to be exposed to things that will greatly hinder our Christian lives. That will hinder God's power in our lives. That will hinder God's working and using of our lives for His glory. How are we made clean? Our Lord says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've sinned, ask God to forgive you. The word confess means to agree with God. God, I agree what that was was wrong. It was sin. Forgive me. Help me not do it again. And He forgives you. But how can I be clean? Through the Word of God. Look what the Word of God says in John chapter 15. In verse number 3. These are the words of Christ. Let's begin in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. That is that word purged. He cleans it off. He removes things that would hinder. A few years ago, my father-in-law bought, it was really, he bought this for my wife. Uh, you know, you, you know, you understand, right, men? Your father-in-law really doesn't care about you. I'm, I'm just teasing. But his primary concern is his daughter. And then, it's his grandkids. And then it's your dog. <laughs> and then it's you. Just teasing. But he bought my wife a Honeycrisp apple tree. And we went out, we, we digged a hole in the backyard, we planted that Honeycrisp apple tree. How many of you guys like Honeycrisp apples? It is by far the best variety of apple. And I don't even like apples, but I will eat a Honeycrisp apple. I take that back. I love apple pie. You get that cinnamon crumble, that Dutch apple pie, put some of that cinnamon on the top. Mm, brown sugar, oh, it's so good. Just so you know. But for whatever reason, we, wouldn't, we would get very little fruit off of that tree. So my wife figured out 
with the help of YouTube, how to trim this Honeycrisp apple tree. And something happened this morning, or I'm sorry, this, this year. There are so many apples on this itty-bitty apple tree that I had to stake the thing up because it was going to lay down flat on the ground. There's probably 30 apples on a tree that stands this tall. It's incredible. We were outside last night. I had just gotten home from the church, and my kids are outside in the backyard. And one of my boys said, hey, that, there's an apple that's almost ready. They're, they're salivating. You know, they're ready to, to get one of those apples. But what did it take to get that fruit? It took the removal of old limbs, of dead branches. My wife's parents live in a historic house in Ripley, West Virginia. How many of you, you've, we went to the, to the Golden Years Rally last year. We went out to the farm and you guys saw the farmhouse. It was built prior to the Civil War. Beautiful house made out of sandstone that was quarried right off the property there. Huge, beautiful house. But on, has this huge porch, you know, it's, it's, it's great. But there are these grapevines that, that are everywhere along the front of the house. They are original to the house. They were taken to, I forget the year, but they were taken to a, a World's Fair and they received a prize at, from a World's Fair. But for the longest time, they were not, these vines were not producing fruit. They were not producing grapes. Until my father-in-law learned how to prune them. And now, there are hundreds of bunches of grapes growing two stories up the side of this house. It's incredible. Church, God wants you and me to be fruit-bearing Christians. But there is no way that we will produce fruit if we hold on to the sin that besets us. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says, Every branch, verse 2, in me that that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. He removes the old. He removes uh, anything that's, that, that will hinder that it may bring forth more fruit. Notice verse 3, he says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Christian, how do you become clean? How, how does truth get in your inner parts? Through the Word. You are made clean by the Word of God, and you are kept clean by the Word of God. Look with me, if you would, in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5, the beautiful chapter concerning Christ's love for the church, 
and the example that, that he has given through the avenue of marriage. The husband and the wife relationship is intended to be a beautiful picture of Christ in His church. But the Bible says this, look in verse number 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. That He might, what? Sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. That He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. He wants it to be clean. He wants it to be presentable. Lovely. I'm going to tell you that sin is ugly. It is. We don't think it is because society glamorizes so many things. But sin is ugly. Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light, but he's ugly. And he deceives God's people into believing that it's not so bad. That no one will ever know. I mean, consider the testimony of David. He had, he had covered it up. He had covered up his sin with Bathsheba. I mean, she... He had an affair with her. Slept with her. She conceived a child. And then he had her husband killed. He'd gotten away with it. No. Be sure your sin will find you out. Paul was far removed from the city of Corinth. But word got back to him. The Lord sees everything. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And instead of allowing ourselves to be puffed up with this pride and arrogance, this, the idea that it's no big deal, it is a big deal. Our sin nailed Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, to the cross. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin hinders God's blessing. Our sin robs us of God's power. Let us not be arrogant. Let us not be puffed up. Let us not turn a blind eye. 
Let us seek to be clean. Let us seek to be made right. May we confess it to the Lord and may we forsake it. Christian, the invitation is simple. Purge out therefore the old leaven. Is there sin in your life today? Is there anything that would hinder God's blessing on on your life? Is there anything that would rob you of God's power? This leaven that leavens the whole lump, this little bit, it's not just affecting you. It's affecting everybody you know. May our prayer be the prayer of David this morning. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed.